Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Just stone cold set stuff. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. I don't know if we'll come as strong as Texas came on National Signing Day with Tom Herman getting it done. 27 signees, the number three class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. We're not going to talk specifics in terms of the recruitments of these guys, but we will definitely talk how they fit in, look at some depth charts, and uh, kind of project some things forward here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. I am Jeff Howe, and before we get started, can I just please ask everybody in the Twitterverse, <laughs> no, Rice graduate transfer Calvin Anderson did not need to sign yesterday. He doesn't need to make a decision right away. He's going to make a decision in March. Everything I've heard suggests Texas still feels really good about it. So, there. Yeah. There He's you have He's a graduate it. transfer, so there's different yes. rules that apply. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, no. He's he, already signed letters of intent back in the day. He did not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he will sign a scholarship <laughs> agreement when he enrolls in June. He will not be able to participate in spring ball because as part of a graduate transfer, he still has to graduate from Rice. I so was, I guess I the just, world exploded off of this. I understand the urgency, though, because there are a lot of people that believe that, you know, a guy like that coming in could end up being the most important acquisition of that, you know, right. the class coming in if he decides to go with Texas. Definitely the most instant impact guy of all you know what the, I mean? the That's newcomers, a, yeah. Consider new And to the, uh, to the neediest or, you know, I would say the, uh, the most destitute position group right. as well. So uh, we'll wait on Calvin Anderson and see what happens, but uh, let me go ahead and bring in the rest of the team before we move on and talk about this, uh, this signing class and how they fit into the Longhorns' plans. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, no longer the man behind the glass, but the man who uh, runs the show, drives the car here, Matt Butler. Matt, what's going on, man? Oh, I've been pretty normal other than yesterday. It was very bizarre. I uh, had a basketball game get rained out, so really lost a lot of money due to that, and <laughs> I think that'll be the last time I'll ever have to say that again in my life. It's very strange. Is it sad that we're at the point <laughs> yeah. now where I heard about that the Pacers-Pelicans game being postponed? I'm like, man, I want I wonder how that impacted Matt last night. <laughs> hey, yeah, like I was cost him bread. Uh, telling Rod earlier, like you had the smoke game a few years ago in Mexico, so that one at least you knew there was a fire going on or something like to tip you off. Or the condensation game where you put a basketball court on top of a ice rink and it's too soon and it starts to get slick and stuff. <laughs> Those yeah. actually, this one came out of nowhere. Nobody knew that the roof, the roof of this post-Katrina construction chaos that happened ended up leaking and ended up causing the game to be canceled. But smartly, to- also, like, you don't want Miles Turner or a guy like Anthony Davis going out there and slipping and ending their career. I did see, though, Pierre the Pelican hit a half-court shot backwards while trying to entertain the crowd for, like, an hour while they waited around for, like, two hours trying to see if this game was... <laughs> so you had the pe- Pierre the Pelican throwing all these mad, crazy shots and hitting them in a mascot outfit, which was pretty nuts. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, before we move on, Matt, just some quick NBA thoughts. I'll give you about 15 seconds to... Uh, Rapid uh, fire. 15 seconds. If these moves mean anything... Um, 
Isaiah Thomas getting traded from the Cavs to the Lakers. The Lakers do hang on to that uh, Celtics pick. They got in the Kyrie Irving trade through Brooklyn that's probably going to be a top three pick. And then uh, how about Cleveland turning around and trading Dwayne Wade to Miami? See, I had not seen the Wade oh, move. Oh, I didn't just see the Wade move. That apparently just happened. That must be part oh, of the Rodney Hood deal because I saw Rodney Hood just got traded also to the Cavs. But, yeah, I think the Isaiah trade, perfect. You get a second unit. Basically, LeBron had just dominated from November 11th to Christmas, say like 18-1 and one or something. They He works with those guys well with the main unit. But when you try to bring something new in, that's where the chaos happened. You already had a bad defense. You get to add Clarkson and Nance to be the second unit guys, add athleticism, add some scoring. That's decent hood scoring. And then, I mean, that's a best friend talking to best friend. Like, man, I got to win. It's my legacy. We got to go. That's a hell of a talk to have yeah. between Le- LeBron and Wade. Yeah. Thank wow. you for that rundown, Matt. Uh, a man who knows about the NBA, he'll talk about the NBA. He does it every day uh, on 104.9 The Horn on the broadcast from 1 to 3. Uh, but right now he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Uh, a lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American fourth-round draft pick of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and here with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football in Canada, got himself back to Austin, Texas, and to 40 acres where he earned his degree. If he had a T-ring, he would wear it proudly. But nonetheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And in that intro, I cannot believe that I forgot he was once a semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. And Rod, do, intro, brother. do you realize that on Wednesday, National Signing Day, it was 19 years to the day, to the date, that you signed your national letter of intent to it's the University thing. of Texas. It just thanks you for making me feel those. I appreciate your rich, that. Wearing your rich thanks white man you. hat. Yeah, rich white I man did. hat. Very yeah, good touch. I did wear the rich white man hat. That it was, was still a, when like I, Greg Norman had like some yeah. type of influence on your attire. He was the cool golfer. That's great. Yeah, I did. I got. I think I got that from Academy. Actually, my rich white man hat it had Texas uh, banner on it. It was yeah. pretty cool. I didn't play the hat roulette like the kids play these days. Um, I think I just broke Michael out Jordan the, on the golf course really rubbed off on a yeah. lot of young youth. Or yeah, he wore Bowden, the rich Bobby white Bowden man hat always. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I think, uh, you know, it was it was big time. I thought that was my way of you today. You would bring out a clown or, like, you'd have, like, uh, the band there or some yeah. cheerleaders or whatever. The baby uh, wearing the one. I have some tiger there with you. And, yeah. and I just taught, I just decided to wear the rich white man hat. That was that was that was crossing the line in my day. Like that was I was like, ooh, this dude, this this young Styling. buck has got some swagger. What's no, he doing? It's like a What's he wearing? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like that was big time. Now that would be seen as just. I mean, that's everybody does that. As, as you've yeah. said many everybody times, very conservative play. move these as, days. As you've said many times, Rod, when we talked about recruiting here on the show, your mom and dad would not have put up with the hat game and no Rod be committing and decommitting. No, everybody pretty much knew where. At least all the coaches knew where I stood. That had to call all of the coaches beforehand and tell them, hey, I'm going with Texas. Sorry, coach. You know, love you. Think you're great. But I'm going with Texas. Had to do that. I think I probably did it probably within a week of me picking Texas. All the other stuff for the media, that was all for show. The Everybody knew. My head coach knew. Coach Tom Nolan, who's still there, by the way, at Lamar. He knew. My mom knew. It's like that. What's that? Um, what's the recruit whose mom walked out on the recruit? Jacob Copeland. 
this this guy, Jacob Copeland, who went to Florida, right? Yeah. He was choosing mm-hmm. between Florida, I think, Tennessee, and Alabama. That video is- He's playing the hat roulette. Yeah, mom is there next to him. Wearing he the and, only two other right? colors. Exactly. Wearing Tennessee and Bama. She's wearing Tennessee and Bama. She's got a Bama sweater on, I think, got a Tennessee hat or whatever, or yeah. vice versa. Yes. And he says, I'm going to Florida. Mom gets up, walks out of the press conference. And then in front of televised. the camera. In front of the camera. Like, takes the, <laughs> the sure way around. Yeah. Walks out. out of here. Um, they ask him, who just walked Grandma. out? He's like, my mom. He, at first his heart broke so I was crying she comes back in it's like a Disney movie or something uh, and I'm thinking to myself I was thinking, first thing know? I thought about was like his mom didn't know where he was going That's who, who doesn't tell their it's mom I felt is old. it like an episode of The Bachelor like is everybody who is in the shot are they all ignorant to exactly what is it's, happening yeah. you couldn't tell your mom I, I mean or did they rehearse it was it just no, great drama that would be is great great acting, reality yeah. TV no, is great this, did they take reality TV you know to the Bravo extent where you know Real Housewives they had it worked out mom in the Tennessee Bama gear and she was Florida she walks out like we Grandma's got him we like, got America we got him. We're going to have a reality TV show. Is this his way of starting a reality TV show for his family? Because that was the best drama of signing day by a long shot. His mama walked out in the press conference, and I'm thinking to myself, Whose mom would let them walk out there and not know where he's going? My mom would slap. My mom would slap the hell out of me, no, and she would, she would refuse to attend my press conference. And I had one in front Maybe of Lamar. She was if she did not know. Maybe she was betrayed. Maybe, Maybe he lied said to he's going to Bama. So God heard to show up, and right? now embarrassed. So her many on TV. theories. Was I'm it reality TV show driven? Was it all scripted? Did it? Did he lie to his mom? Like <laughs> yes. Matt said, did mom just not know? I, yeah. No mom that I know would walk out there and not have known the answer. That's, you know what I mean? That's yeah. going to be a mama foreman, though, by the end of it. She's going right? to be into it. Yeah. Ooh, that reality TV show is common to YouTube or Facebook or something. <laughs> yes. Matt, before we move on, can I get uh, another 15 second? And I'll time you this time. Just another oh, 15 seconds. Yeah. Are, are you talking news? about the details of this here trade? Yes, this three-team yes. trade. So Hood let me re- and Hill to the Cavs. So George Hill and Rodney Hood. What? Jazz get Ooh. Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose because Jay Crowder and Derrick Rose are literally the worst. They're worse than Isaiah. They're the reason that defense was so bad. Jay yeah, Crowder. Terrible. And Rose, and then jo- Joe Johnson gets to fit money to the Kings, so the Kings get to dump salary and get to open up their books and get off a bad contract. And Amon Shumpert's an expiring contract, right? I he, uh, yeah, it looks like he's in, included in that too. And yeah. I haven't even seen what came from the Wade deal, but yeah, man, that's hardcore to pull George Hill, Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and and Nance. That's a whole second unit. That's your, full, That's your fit, fit one inside like said, yeah. with LeBron and F- Rodney Hood if, say, J.R. Smith's not working. And then the other three are going to be in that second unit well, with, say, yeah, but Tristan. Yeah. The Cavs might trade one of us it's if just we don't amazing. move on here. Cavs are a disaster. Let's be honest. They're, they they are, they are. It's truly... just crazy to see that we can watch Look, the Eastern Conference be like, we don't have anybody. Just throw whoever with LeBron and he might be able to bind together. Well, this is the oppression of the Warriors, though. Yeah. Because there's desperation everywhere because yeah. nobody feels they can beat the Warriors. Nobody so feels like, anybody. Does it even matter? Does it right even now. matter is what you start asking. But yourself. somebody gets a shot somehow. That's what's unfair about it because the Rockets The Rockets-Warriors Western Conference Finals will be the finals yes, this year. But then somebody gets a chance <clears throat> to beat the whoever survives that death series. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll worry about the NBA later. Right now, we're going to go back to National Signing Day. We're going to talk about this Texas seconds. class. We're going to look at where <laughs> – yeah, 15 seconds. Thanks, Matt. Uh, we're going to look at where how these guys fit in. And, Rod, this is a 27-man class. Could get up to 28 with the addition of Calvin Anderson, who won't be 
on campus until June uh, if he picks Texas. And right now, I think Texas is probably the leader along with uh, along with Michigan. But I think Texas has the edge over Michigan in that one. Um, here's something I want to run down real quick, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because this will be uh, this will not be topical for a while. Um, Vernon Jackson, the uh, four-star athlete out of bowling, um, signed in air quotes with Texas A&M yesterday. As of eleven fifteen Thursday morning, Texas A&M had still not received his national letter of intent. Uh, Texas, as far as I know, is still in communication with Vernon Jackson as of very late Wednesday night. So we'll see if anything happens from that. But I mean, Texas would they would take Vernon Jackson if that's a possibility. Rod, when you look at what Texas did on uh, on on Wednesday in this late sign, the second signing period, if you will, uh, you look at the just some of the names and guys that they needed to get. Mm-hmm. And I'm, the, the two that jump out, obviously, are Keontae Ingram, the running back from Carthage, Keontae Coburn, the defensive tackle from Spring-Westfield. Okay. Yeah. Those two guys at positions where one where you lose the Big 12 defensive lineman of the year and Puna Ford, and in an odd front, we know how important the nose tackle is. And then Keontae Ingram at running back, we know Texas needed to get more dynamic at that position. They were not dynamic enough. There were not enough plays being made at the running back position in 2017. Now, we we know eventually as we speculated around the USC game, this staff just for whatever reason, them and Chris Warren just did not see eye to eye on, on much of anything. They were, no. they were just not vibing there. And then Kyle Porter, as we talked about, is he's a hard worker, good kid, but I think in the end of the day, man, Kyle Porter is kind of just a guy. Yeah. And Danny Young, unlike Kyle Porter, is a guy that, hey, if that play's blocked for, Tom Herman said it, the play's blocked for four, he'll get you six. If it's blocked for six, he'll get you eight or nine. Uh, the ability to, to make guys miss account for the unblocked defender, he did that did that better than any of the other backs. Uh, Tennille Carter obviously getting suspended for the bowl game and the fumble mm-hmm. problems. Uh, there's still some return to do, I think, there. So bottom line is Texas needed an, 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 a guy that could come in right now and give them something at running back. They get that with Keontae Ingram, who's a three-down back that could come in and help right away, and then Keandre Coburn at the nose rod. Of these guys that signed in this late period, other than those two guys, anything jump out at you? Or if you want to talk about those two guys, the floor is yours. Um, well, I obviously Keandre Coburn being the the only true one of the only true nose tackles, uh, D tackles in in the state. Um, I thought that was pivotal. Uh, it seems to me that Todd, Todd Orlando's defense, uh, at least the last three years, when it's been trending as one of the nation's best at U of H and now here at Texas, that's been one of the common denominators. There are a lot of things that have changed, talent level, that kind of thing. But Ed Oliver at U of H is going to end up being a top five draft pick somewhere. And Puna Ford overachieved um, and became the defensive lineman of the year. Um, and he'll play in the NFL. I don't know where he'll be drafted or even if he'll be drafted. But we all know that he was perfect, or at least he was utilized perfectly by Todd Orlando in that defense, always over the ball as that nose tackle. And Kim J. Coburn can do that. I know there will be some other guys who are going to you know, try to fill that void left by Puna. But that's going to be interesting to see how many snaps you see a guy like that get early and who becomes that that presence there. But it's great you got him to start developing him in that role. Keontae Ingram, certain guys, they, they move the chains. Certain guys change the game. Right now, every running back that Texas has, they just move the chains. Um, they don't really change the game. And Keontae Ingram, from what I've heard and from what I've watched, he's a game changer. He's a guy that can take it to the house. Um, if he can learn his pass-blocking duties and technique early on and get really um, well and adapted to them, this guy can end up starting for Texas in the first three or four games. I mean, because they just don't have that kind right. of presence at running back. They don't. And you need that because you get that, then you make it easy on the 
And then you have, if Sam Ellinger ends up starting, you have a dual threat uh, backfield with him and Sam Ellinger. Teams will start loading that box, and that's what Tom Herman wants to be able to do in terms of the vertical passing game to throw against man-to-man coverage. You're asking Texas wideouts to beat one-on-one. That's eventually what you want down the right. line. Uh, so those two guys were crucial. Um, the other guys, I think, were just kind of added value for Texas. It was great that so many D-linemen jumped on board. And I think that was the big story of actual the actual signing day. Signing day ain't what it used to be. Um, it's like getting all your Christmas presents on Christmas Eve and then waking up on Christmas Day like, okay. Maybe you got one. Maybe you got one or two to open, but I got most of the stuff I wanted on Christmas Eve. And that's how it was for the early signing period now. But having all those defensive linemen in this class – um, and I think that was kind of a that was late for the most part having all those guys rush on board. I think that really was the big takeaway. Big and inv- I think defensive line now probably at the most recruits in the class other than defensive back. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah you look at all all their defensive linemen. Rod were uh, were in the the February signing period. Right. Uh, Daniel Carson, Keandre Coburn, uh, Moro Wajomo, Joseph Osai, and Mike Williams. With maybe Vernon Jackson's kind of weird how it worked out. Like we'll that. see, we'll see what happens, but. Um, and I, I like the versatility of this group. The fact this group's got some upside. And the best thing about it is when you look at the current roster, you're not going to need a lot of these guys. Obviously, you're going to need Keandre Coburn to come in, starting with that Maryland game, and give you. you Depending know, on how the other guys ahead yeah. of him, the you know DeAndre Christmas Giles and Chris Nelson and all those, how those guys fit in. If Christmas is still, DeAndre Christmas is still on the roster, I think he played like 14 snaps. I don't know what the hell is up. I just want to say his name because like I that. love his <laughs> name. I yeah. want him to be good. Like I want Demarion Overshone. You know to be he good. dropped the Giles you though, know? right? He dropped the hyphen. Oh, to hell he's, with you, he's, Christmas. He's just going by DeAndre, DeAndre Christmas. Christmas. Can't get all I like the hyphenate, but I go with DeAndre Christmas. Either way, I want him to be good because I want to say that name a lot. It would be nice if we could just talk about him DeAndre other Christmas. than being like, where the hell is Deandre Christmas right I now? I saw you know, like, um, right? The can you say hell and of... Christmas in the same mm. sentence? Yes, you oh, can. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Thank yes. you, Rod. I lean on you. <laughs> I lean on you for what's you PC and what's not, Rod. A lot of people use But so yeah. Deion, we'll see what happens with DeAndre Christmas. Gerald Wilbon got some reps last year. We'll see what strides he makes in the offseason. Uh, and then, you know, we know they're going to slide Chris Nelson inside, which isn't really uh, ideally where you would like Chris Nelson. I think he's more of kind of that three-technique, four-eye type guy, but too. which is why I think, you know, you can still have Chris Nelson slide out and play that shit if Keandre Coburn can come in and give you, you know, 10 to 12 quality reps right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You know, right, if you're playing, you know, 70 snaps a game on, on on defense, let's just throw that number out there. I don't know. Matt, you don't have any idea off the top of your head what how many defensive snaps per game Texas average. I didn't look at the players like I know Pro Football Focus has them. But no, no, no. 80%. I'm just talking like how many snaps the defense as a whole faced like per game. Oh yeah, about 77, 78. Okay, I think. so if you're playing seven, let's lot. say let's say eighty, yeah. right? Let's say yeah. eighty snaps. Uh, if Keandre Coburn's a guy that can give you, you know, in in an, around fifteen, give or take a few, yeah. I think that's ideally what you would like from him right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, when back to my point. When you you bring back Chris Nelson, you still got Gerald Wilbon. We'll see what happens with Christmas, and then you've got Charles Amina who decided not to go to the NFL. Good call on his part, as we talked about yeah. with Brecken Hager, Malcolm Roach coming back to Quan Graham, uh, coming off of a year where he played as a true freshman. You still got Jamari Chisholm in there yeah. for depth purposes. So, really, you can afford to redshirt some of these guys because your sure. depth up front is actually pretty good. Yeah, your D line is a, is gonna it should be ideally a strength considering the experience you're bringing back at D line. 
I agree with you. Especially since you're playing so much odd front, you you know, yeah. that really cuts down. I mean, it's a uh, simple math. I mean, it cuts down on the number of guys you're asking to play reps. Yeah, hell, and even on the D-line, you got one. Isn't Ojomo like 16 years old or something? Or Ojomo doesn't turn 17 until August. Yeah. Wow. So, no, that guy's red shirt. Yeah. And the exact <laughs> number on snaps, Texas improved actually last year because 2016 was 82.8. It was way too high. Wow. It got down to 72.8 the last two games, or the last there game, I guess the bowl game helped a little bit. That's so, what down you to want. 73, a little bit better. I, well, but you the know rest what? of the Big 12, like you look at Texas Tech was up at 79, a lot of 78, 77. So, at least, you know, that how much of that up. is Tom Herman and his staff figuring out? the identity for this particular team and how they needed to win Mm -hmm. and going to themselves, whoa, 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 man, this offense, it ain't no matter how much work we put into it, no matter how much of our game plan uh, that we throw out there and we're we're putting time into it and trying to make it effective and personnel changes, we're just not going to win games with this offense. We win games with a top 15 defense in the country and the best punter in the country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's how we're going to win games. Yeah. And I wonder if they just start adjusting their their call, their play calling, their game plans, period, that, hey, man, let the special teams and the defense win the game. Let's keep defense fresh. Mm-hmm. And, hell, as much as we can put uh, long ball Dixon out there, let's keep putting him out there. He's our, he's our best offensive weapon. He just flips the field for us, and he keeps our defense playing with a long field behind him. Uh, or at least with a long feel for the the offense. I think that is more why you saw that change toward the end of the year. Yeah, very much. 68 yeah. snaps the defense faced in that Texas Bowl, man. Yeah, yeah. so that's you – know I mean? tra- it was yeah. trained in that's, so that's that, Tom Herman was like, all right, all right. He figured it out. Like, all right. But, you, you know, know the, we know the, who we are. Those low, those low snap numbers, though, you're facing in terms of plays per game – Part of that is you look at the games Texas won. It was usually when the offense was able to put together at least one or two really long drives. Like the the two games that stick out to me, like the Iowa State game and the Missouri game, were almost mirror images of each other in terms of score early, let defense and field position carry the day, and then offense just put one drive together at the end to burn off some clock and, and carry us across the finish line. And, and think about it, the the four quarter drive in mm-hmm. Ames. And, and the, the tw- ten play, I think it was a ten play, like forty six yard drive they had yeah. uh, against Missouri. You didn't score on either of those drives, but the I think the drive in Ames it killed the last like, like seven six, and a half I minutes say off six, the clock. Seven minutes, yep. yeah. And I, I think that drive in the Texas ball, I think like you killed five, like eight, eight minutes eight of minutes, clock yeah. time or something, something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, but see that goes back to the uh, forty rushes or more stat too. Right. You know what I mean? Because they were just they were they pounding right. They weren't one another. Yeah, they weren't productive. We know that. That run, they were still averaging probably yeah. three yards a carry or something like that. But they took time off the clock. You let that defense get fresh. That that defense fresh uh, with long ball Dixon pinning them deep. You know that was a recipe for success for Texas. They figured it out like, oh, this is a recipe for us. You know what? We just got to do this, this, and this, and we can we can stay in the game with anybody, right. even if it's Oklahoma or USC, best teams in the country. If we we did these things right and we were able to make those games competitive even down to the, the last minute, and I think they figured that out late. They figured it out way too damn late because we were talking about it. Hell, I was going to say the first, after the first four or five games of the season. But mm-hmm. That's how you're going to win with this team. And when you look at the rest of the teams in the Big 12, the best defense is Oklahoma and TCU right at 69, 69.3, which is where Texas was in that Texas Bowl against Missouri down to 68, and you look up around a little bit higher, uh, even Baylor, but Baylor, what they do this year, change sort of their mentality and start running, so they're trying yeah. to shorten that game in the Big 12, trying to prevent the opponents from having as many plays. Just like while we said, whenever we realized the reason why Texas was losing with Charlie Strong that first year was 
just the amount of plays. We weren't getting the quantity. And that's the way in the Big 12 you can try to at least, if you can't get it, you can limit the opponent's amount and limit their upsides. Like, oh, we suck? Well, we can bring you down to our level with us just by going and stretching it out. It's K-State in the next year. Rod, to your point point about Keontae Ingram, if you're running the ball that much and that's your strategy, and we'll see if that strategy changes with no Michael Dixon Mm -hmm. in 2018. But if one of those, you know, on those long drives, if one of those four or five yard runs, if a guy like Keontae Ingram can turn that four or five yard run even into a, an eleven or twelve yard run, maybe oh, get you one one more explosive run play per drive. Yeah, we we've talked since we started doing the show together back in two thousand twelve. We talked about how much explosive plays if you get an explosive play on a drive, how much that increases your chances Walsh, baby. of Bill scoring. Walsh. I mean, does, you know, Bill Walsh crunched the numbers a long time ago, and the percentages skyrocket when you get at least one or two explosive plays on a drive. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, when I look oh, at this class again, I just go back to the upside, man, with these defensive linemen and the fact that not just those defensive linemen, but you look at getting Christian Jones, a, a kid out of out of the Houston area, out of Cy Woods at six six. Uh, you know, I think Texas lists him at six five two eighty. He's probably real, real legitimately in that ballpark. Just long, athletic, kind of a waist bender right now. But I think that's stuff you can work on. It's he's got he's got yeah, some football some, terms. He's got some good tools to him. Um, but you look at Christian Jones and then the offensive linemen that they sign. Uh, in the early period, Junior Angelau and Reese Moore and Rafiti Gramai, Rod, with the with adding Mikey Grandy and going back to the Calvin Anderson point, if you get Calvin Anderson, now you've got four freshman offensive linemen. Knock on wood, unless you have an injury or something, you might be able to get away with red shirting all these guys. Yeah, especially if you can get and that. Like you you say, can't quantify yeah. how huge that is for this program. Yeah, you get the graduate transfer of Calvin Anderson here, then you talk about red shirting all those guys, ending that cycle of. Um, really, it's a it's, it's kind of a, a cycle of being able of premature kind of um, premature development. You're stunting you the growth of your offense. Yeah, well, line. because you know what? Not yeah, because initially those guys all they 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 show that hey, they do actually deserve to play more because they probably are the best option you have, which is means your offensive line is not in a good place. That right. means it is you know not where it should be because you want to redshirt those guys in development, but that premature like spurt, open chance to risk. Yeah, you know what I mean? Initially, I think you see those guys, they do kind of have this uh, expedited rate of development, but then after that, you see them regress. Patrick Vahe, I think, is a prime example, right? Ken Parkins. Ken Par- you know what I mean? You see that regression. They do have that high ceiling, but it's one of those rare positions in football. It's not like running back. It, it's an offensive lineman. There's, there's so much of it that is technique and also kind of raw strength and maturity and growth. You don't want to see a lineman out there because you'll develop bad habits as a young freshman because no, you don't have a, a you don't You have a little boy body still, and, and you're, you're going that- up against growth. Own men, so you're going to develop bad habits about how to, you know, how to get your feet in the right spot, or how to turn a guy, or where to have your the hand placement because you're overcompensating because you should have a certain level of strength playing that position, but you don't. But you're trying to survive. You yeah, no, survive. You're you got to get. You're at the yeah, point. I'm of trying now, to execute. I'm trying to do yeah. the job. I'm trying to I'm do the job exactly. exactly instead of doing the job developing. correctly and developing. So that's why you see that initially you see a spurt on offensive linemen that they play early, and then you see a regression because they develop bad habits, and then once they actually do have that grown man body and they can handle that, you know, that matchup against another grown man, 
their their bad technique catches up with them. It's yeah. like the idea you, know you know can't I mean? see the forest for the trees because yeah. you're too close to it. And it's like, you know, yeah. well, I would like to be able to work on developing yeah. all these things. But right now you're saying that I got Oklahoma and I got to block that guy and this is working. I'm and doing I it. Do well, exactly. I'm going to do whatever like, I got to do. Y'all put me in this yeah. position. This isn't my yeah. fault that I'm not developing. I am helping y'all try to fill this stop gap because we together trying yeah. to do this, but it's also on the front end sort of understanding, hey man, you might develop all the stuff that you want if I was sitting yeah. back and learning and grooming exactly. like Aaron Rodgers did for years behind exactly a guy right. like, you know, Favre or something The quarterback like that. is just a prime example. Yes, of. You yes. see early on young quarterbacks have a lot of success in the league yeah. and then you see the regression. Mariota well, did this year. Yeah, because then teams have the film on them, they start mm-hmm. game planning for them, and then all those bad habits you developed as a young quarterback, they start to catch up to you. Yeah, so it, it, it happens cool. in, in some of those positions where development is key. Some of them are not like that. I think cornerback is like an instinctual position. Running back is like yeah, that. Wide receiver. You throw, yeah, you throw a young guy out there, man, he'll just keep, he'll just he'll continue to flourish. He'll just continue on that rate of development. Mm-hmm. It's not like that with certain other positions. And I think quarterback, like Matt mentioned, and offensive line are like that. And then, Rod, you talk about bad technique, bad habits. That goes back to having, what is Texas now on their fourth offensive line coach in four years. Good point, too. I mean, I mean, zone steps are zone steps. You know, double team, the proper way to do a double team, it's pretty much the same stuff. But with an offensive line coach, those little details with, oh, you know, man. footwork and hand yeah. placement, just like that, every guy has a different way of teaching it mm-hmm. and relating. And we talk, you go back to this, Rod, all the time with Manny Diaz. It's, it's not that – can you teach it? It's, it's not do you know it, it's can you make that relatable to your players? And exactly can right. you get the information across to where yeah. they understand it? Can you understand it? It, how that guy learns and go, yeah. okay, i got to teach it to you differently than I taught it to the, to, to the guy that's in front of you. And guys, mm-hmm. are different, you know I mean? com- guys are different kinds of communicators and all exactly. that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a, it's, I keep saying it, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it again, man, the offensive line at Texas didn't get broken overnight. Not gonna get fixed overnight. No, nope. but if you can, but if you <laughs> compare, if you compare Christian Jones with these four offensive linemen that you signed in December, and you could redshirt these guys again, that's if you get Calvin Anderson, which is gonna really mm-hmm. make your depth look a lot better. Then now we're getting somewhere. Now we're starting to see you know steps in the right direction with this program up front. Well, I mean that's I think in the the 2018 recruiting class you addressed the offensive line somewhat. Uh, with the Herb hand hire, you address it again. I think Tom Herman knows it's might be the primary concern for him this offseason to fix it, to to do – well, I don't know, like you said, you can't fix it, to address it, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's better in terms of tempering expectations. Not fix it, to address it. And I think that's what they're trying to do. And if they get a graduate transfer in Calvin Anderson – that's addressing it in three different ways, or at least the three ways that you could address it this offseason. And a graduate transfer is like a type of guy that we were talking about last week. He can be that stopgap that allows the development exactly right. of the others because yeah, he's man. here for that. He wants to be that type yeah. of piece. That is his development like into that as a grad transfer. Yeah, he's a grown man. And yes. Calvin Anderson is a grown man. He would fit all those things. Yeah. The lines of scrimmage, <laughs> as I talked about, you know, wasn't a great year in state for offensive and defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. But you look at the pieces specifically they were able to add, Rod. You just look at the defense. They they ended up getting Keandre Coburn, the state's top nose. Joseph Osai was arguably the top pass rusher in the state, who's a guy who's, you know, they need to get more production out of that B-backer spot. Nashawn Hughes just wasn't the guy. You think about when Todd Orlando had Tyus Bowser at U of H, that, that's the kind of guy they want out there. Maybe that's Joseph Osai, maybe it's not, but they feel like he's got a chance to develop into, into a big-time pass rusher for him. So they get those two guys in state in a, in, a, in a year where there wasn't that 
much depth or you know top end talent available. And then they go out of state to get Daniel Carson and Mike Williams and, and Moro Jomo is a late riser. And then on the offensive line, another late bloomer in in Christian Jones. You go out of state to get. Junior Angelau, Reese Moore is a guy that you targeted as a high school tight end who you feel is a Connor Williams starter kid who maybe he's a guy that athletic him to be tight end who now you're going to try to make him a left tackle and and see where that goes. And then uh, who am I missing on front? And then Rafidi Grimai, who might have been the top offensive lineman in the state again in a year where wasn't that great of a year, but still you were able to go get one of the top guys in the state in a weak year so. Man, I commend the staff for what they were able to do, man. I had big-time question marks just because of the, the numbers over what they were going to be able to do uh, rec- bulking up both lines of scrimmage, man, and, and they went out and did it. Yeah, la- I mean, early on for this recruiting class, it was all about the skill positions, and you know the skill positions were just, I mean, they were flowing in. And it was great. That's when you get the defensive backhaul, of course, which we've talked about. Um, even the wide receivers from this class were early signees and committing early to the program. And we didn't really see a lot of offensive linemen and defensive linemen. That came late. Even in the early signing period, the offensive linemen kind of came in late. And the defensive linemen. So I, I wonder if it was just once they got the skill position guys they wanted, they got the two quarterbacks they wanted, they got the wide receivers, the defensive backhaul they wanted, if the this, this, this shift uh, you know, in focus for the, the coaching staff shifted to the lines, period. Like, hey, we got to right. close on the lines. We did great with the skill positions. We're killing it. I got my two quarterbacks. We got the DBs. We're in the Big 12. Wide receiver, we're already deep at, but we still got some playmakers at wide receiver. We got to go get the beef. All right, where's the beef in the class? There wasn't that much of it. I think they went and got it late, and that's why the actual signing day was all about that D-line. And I, I don't think they're done. Like you said, I think they want to bring in a little bit more beef. Yeah. And that's maybe, what they want. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm trying to stay updated on the Vernon Jackson maybe situation. The too. Yeah, the beef yeah they do. They want, they, they, I think that's what the – because remember, right, I mean, early on in the class, I mean, you know better than anybody, Jeff, it was all about the skill position guys. We've been talking about these DBs for it feels like a year now. I feel like we've been talking about it. They've already been on campus, half of them. But, you know, that was the – and it, you know, I think they had how many, two, how many linebackers we got in the class? Like two? Is it two linebackers? Two linebackers. Two linebackers in the By the way, yeah. Vernon Jackson's letter of intent is in finally for A&M. Oh, for, oh, for A&M. Oh, good for them. Good for the Aggies. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But I think that the staff – and I, I really do. I think they sat down after early – and this is why early signing period is, if you play it right, man, it is a hell of an asset. Yes. Because if you play it right, mm-hmm. you can really kind of – uh, basically, you know, get like a half of the class or like three-fourths of that class or at least your needs of that class out of the way, and then you can redirect your focus a entirely like Tom Herman would love that. on I the mean, way to close. Yeah, yes. so you're not as scattered. It's not as no. erratic and sporadic as, you know, just national signings. Oh, man, did you get the did we get the D-line we want? Did we get this? Like, no, we got all the DBs we wanted, all the wide receivers, all the skill positions. Let's shift down. Let's it's get like the D lineman and O lineman we want. Yeah, let's go get the rest of the best D lineman and O lineman that are out there. And it seems like I don't know if that's actually how it happened, but it seems like that's the way the narrative worked. Yeah, and just them. to be able to have a target date and a resetting that yeah. then when things you can even if things everything. don't go how you thought, then exactly. you still have that opportunity which wasn't there before. And yeah. then like something that I saw y'all post and yeah, it was uh, the thing about Herman citing like I guess himself. 
about the committee. <laughs> quoting so himself? Well, no, but he did. I don't know Tom where the numbers. would quote himself. Yeah, he, I will say he that. Did. He said, according to his numbers, that they signed the fifth fewest myself. or offered the fifth fewest uh, players. No, yeah. fifth fewest offers in yeah, the country. Yeah, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to go through all 128 FBS programs and see how many offers. But it was and especially numbers. in our database where there there might be offers that weren't committable. And, so it, it was the fifth most behind Northwestern, Stanford, Clemson, and Washington. Yeah. And it just, whenever you were saying that, and it was a form of strategy. And now the way that I just heard the few little things with him saying that really wants the offer to mean something because of how in the past decade you had seen so many offers and coaches abusing the offer idea. And then like it sort of diluted what an offer from schools meant. But now that if he's going to use this out there to in-state kids, it's like a supply demand thing. And if it actually is something that, oh, no, you got a Texas offer, it sort of reminded me of what I heard of recruiting 25 years ago when it was like, oh, uh, but he's going to get a Texas offer, and that was like the big deal, you know, like hearing Bo Jackson say the day that he finally had Alabama call his house, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. Like there's it means a, a merit it still to means it. So something. it just shows yeah. the you know, he, had, he definitely going at this with a keen strategy, and it worked out the first year. Yeah, Rod, you know, I want to go big picture here in, in just a second uh, and, and relate this to, to Alabama's recruiting class because I was just thinking about Alabama. This was the worst-ranked recruiting class Alabama's had since 2007 when they had the seventh. Can't win it every year. They had the seventh-best class in the country in 2007. Ooh, and they really fallen off. And they finished with, with the number seven class in the country. <laughs> a decade of top year. sevens. A decade of yeah. classes no more than that. That's a dozen. I, I believe in that national title yeah. game. That's we saw like them. four freshmen that <laughs> right. played pivotal roles. That's literally for them. twelve. But, no, years but Matt, of that. The, the point you made though, uh, you know, I offering early. I mean, I know Tom Herman talked about or not offering early, but you know how many offers you extend. Um, to me, it, it all, all that matters is are you evaluating the right kids, and, and we'll find out a few years like from now. And, and honestly, our kind of guy, that's his new that's his Well, thing. that's what Chris Peterson talks about but, at, uh, in he's Washington. Kinda, uh, something he's kind of taking that our kind of guy. Yeah. That's cool. Um, you know, but and, and I understand that to to an extent. That no, I understand. Rod, Rod B, you 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 saw a lot of talented guys come and go during your time at Texas. Yeah, they man. weren't Matt guys. University of Texas isn't for everybody. Yeah, everybody wasn't kind of a Matt guy. They didn't like everybody didn't jump on that bandwagon. Some guys don't figure that out until they get there, though. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. some guys decide, you know, I'm not a Matt guy, but I'm still sticking with the program. Mm-hmm. No, it, some it, might be Texas guys. Yeah, exactly. So it, know, I think, like I, yeah, I think it all, it's all about Austin the guys. it's all about the culture that you're bringing in, and that's why. Tom Herman talks about that. They, let's be honest. There are a lot of guys who are leaving the program for different reasons to pursue professional interests and all graduate transfers and some guys just transferring, whatever. A lot of that, and those guys are talented guys, is because they're not really Tom Herman guys. Like, they're talented players, and they, they nothing against Tom Herman. They probably think Tom Herman's going to do a great yeah. job and he's cool, but eh, I'm not really a Tom Herman guy. He's got his own thing working. I was able to contribute and help, but they were Tom Herman guys, a lot of them. They would stay. Charlie you know Strong. I mean, I, I they they were Charlie going, Strong right. guys. I and going back just to just a good human thing. Nothing, that, like talking about that. working no. wise, yeah. exactly. That like, as I said, every one of your ex girlfriends is is a is a yacht in an a hole. Like, no, like she's cool. She, we just didn't work out. Like, and, we, she's great. And she, look at her. Talk to her man now. She's great. She's got kids. She's got a family. She's a great woman. Me and her, we just couldn't vibe. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Doesn't make you a bad person. Same thing with those guys. They're like, man, I'm not really here for that. I've had bad experiences here in Texas. I had a good year here with you, but I'm not really a Tom Herman guy. I'm moving on. Charlie had guys like Adrian Colbert, who's now starting in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm 
moving on. Well, and then that's just where it's like, you know, the human element aspect that we always talk about where these football players really never had much of those choices because you're always judged if you go do that. But if any of us, you go to a work environment, you get a whole new boss, all your old bosses are left and you don't get along so well with the person. It might not be personal, but any human understands that. But then when it becomes a kid at the school you root for and he's going to somewhere else, it becomes the fandom emotional aspect that's thrown in that distorts the way that we view this because it's only logical to think, oh, yeah, well, he's cool. I just not the right fit for me. I'm going back to my hometown to play. Rod, you, you talk about how the early signing period can benefit you and it benefit how much it benefited Texas. I think mm-hmm. if you're a program like Texas, if you're one of the national blue blood brands and you've got your stuff together, it's the best thing in the world. And, and I compare yeah. it to this. You talk about Tom Herman being able to crystallize his focus and say, okay, this is what we need to go get in January. we got to target these guys. This is what we need. The difference between the way Charlie Strong recruited and the way Tom Herman recruits yeah. is Charlie Strong is the kind of guy, everybody gets to this point, and I'm at this point at the house right now, everybody knows when you're out of groceries and you're like, man, I have nothing in the house. <laughs> i got to go to the grocery store. Tom Herman's the guy that goes to the grocery store with a detailed list. Like, I'm not I'm not leaving anything off this list. Mm-hmm. I know what I need. Charlie Strong is the guy that says, oh, man, the wife's going to be home. I'm supposed to go to the store. i got to go to the store now. I don't need a list. I'm just going. I'm just going. And the we'll wife will tell you, the yeah. wife will tell you, hey, you actually did a pretty good job. I mean, you didn't get this or this or this, but – Overall, you did a pretty good job, and that's what we said about Charlie during his two full cycles. It's like, yeah. man, you know, they didn't, they missed on this and this, but overall, that's actually not too bad. I agree. Considering well, by the circumstances, you're also admitting he didn't get everything. But now so this this list idea. of 27, this is what it looks like when from top, and this is I know we heard alignment, everybody got sick of hearing about alignment. When everybody's on the same page and everybody knows what you're gonna do, and there's a clear blueprint and a focus in recruiting, this list of 27, that's what it looks like. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think yeah, you're seeing him recruit to a certain culture. You're seeing him recruit to a certain system. You can see that on the defensive side of the ball, recruiting to what Todd Orlando's strengths are, especially with the defensive backs, even with Keandre Coburn. Um, I think that Tom Herman, like you pointed out, I think he's very deliberate in everything he does. That's why he's not giving out a lot of scholarships, and you can't offer a scholarship without them sitting down as a group, as a coaching staff, and going, all right, here's our big board or whatever. We need this, this, and this. Everybody on the board for this guy? Like, yeah, but you know what? I like this other guy. That's why they don't they don't have a lot of offers out there because I don't think all the recruiters can just go, hey, man, we're giving you an offer. Like, I don't think they exactly. had that freedom. You know what I mean? Because he's Tom yeah. Harmon is so deliberate in They're who's being like offered and how it's working. Brown yeah, would always have to have that meeting when he would offer. Yeah, everybody. I'll give you a perfect and example. I, you want an example of how this works now in modern day college football? Because you yeah. can't do it the way Mac did it ten yeah. years ago, where it's no. like we offered twenty kids and got seventeen commitments. Yeah. That because that obviously that didn't work out as well as it should have for Mac. When it did early on before the evolution of recruiting, he yes. just didn't keep yeah. up with it quick enough. And yes. I, I feel like I can go here because the kids signed at Texas, yeah. so it doesn't matter. I talked about that workout I was at at Houston Heights back before the name change when Dwayne mm-hmm. Aquino was out there watching Jalen Green. Dwayne Aquino wanted to offer Jalen Green, but he couldn't because they had to take, take the transcript back and they had to sit down. And they had to talk to David Shaw and they had to all be on the same page yep. before Dwayne Aquino. As as much as David Shaw trusts Dwayne Aquina, nope. couldn't just go offer somebody on his Can't own. Can't do it. Can't do it, man. I, we got to come back as a staff, and yes. we got to talk about it. I may have to watch some more film on this thing. We'll have to see. Yeah, no, I agree And it you. wasn't even – I mean, I'm standing there when Dwayne Aquina is talking to Jalen Green's high school coach. Like, Coach, I love him, but, you know, at Stanford we have a way we do things, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
This is what we need. This is what we need to do. Yeah, and I think some of it is the exclusivity. You do still want the brand to mean something. You would like that offer to mean something to a young man. Like, mm-hmm. no, everybody don't get an offer from Texas. You know what I mean? You would still like it to mean something. Same thing with Stanford, of course. Hell, you can't get an offer from Stanford <laughs> unless yeah. you're of a certain ilk. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you there. I, I like what Tom Herman did. I think it's. I think he did a great job of building a wall around the state. I think that was the most important thing. Um, I talk about that with Mac Brown all the time, but. That's what Mac Brown did a really good job of. And even he was with R.C. I, I believe him and R.C. Slocum still to this day had an unwritten kind of gentleman's agreement. I've heard agreement. your theory on this. Yeah. I've had that, 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 bang, we wall off the state, and then me and you, we, we, we duke it out for the talent. And turns out Mac Brown was just a better recruiter. <laughs> and he, we, you know, he won that, that battle. Awesome. And he won it, you know, time and time again. Hell, man, been, R.C. helped Mac get you. Yes, he did. Because you know what I'm saying, like it was. I really do think it. And I went to A and M, and I visited with A and M. But Mac wasn't worried about RC. He's like, you're in College Station. I'm in Austin, Texas. Like, I don't have to worry about you. If we're on the same, if we're on the same level. I will win because I'm in Austin, Texas. Yes. Like, it's just that simple. And Have then, you been like, the to, university. He was saying that 20-something years ago. He was like, I've been to College Station. You've been yeah. to Austin, Texas? It ain't, like, all I do is I just bring him here and say, Have you been there? Uh, what, where do you want to live? You, where do you want to live, right. young man? Most, most people, yeah, but that's why, that's why for A&M, station. that's why, that's why you know for A&M, A&M that, that SEC cares that they can dangle Oh, it's great, there. yeah. It's, it's, and it's having Jimbo Fisher, right. superstar coach, um, those two are going to be duking it out, Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher, for the next five to six years. Tom Herman's going to win most of those, but I like that you look at the top 20 recruits in the state, and the majority of those are going to Texas schools now. And thanks, thanks to Tom Herman, they're back in the Big 12. And I said this before, you save Texas football, which Tom Herman's going to do, and the only way you can do this is by getting the top talent in the state of Texas, which he did this season. You save Texas football, you'll save the Big 12. Because the only thing killing the Big 12 is the exodus of talent. Do we want the Big 12 to be saved? Uh, Tom Herman can do it because when was the last time the Big 12 contended for a national title or won a national title? 2009, 2005, Texas. Defense is stacked with NFL talent, a quarterback. You know what I mean? Like all the those three things. Big 12 to go is Texas. You you fix them in recruiting. He's got to fix the quarterback position. He's got to fix the defense and make sure Texas has a championship-level defense. And he's got to stop the exodus of talent from the state. All three of those things can be fixed in recruiting. That's why it matters. 11 of the, if you look at the 24-7 sports composite rankings, which, thanks Tom Herman, appreciate the plug, that's the rankings yeah. he was he likes your, he, he likes you, he's mentioned your he composite here, he rankings before. He, he, like, he drops the composite Because it's a one-stop right. shop. A no, it is. Guy. It's the best rankings out there. 11 of the top 15 recruits in the state uh, and 12 of the top 20, if you include Joseph Osai, at number 20. But Texas gets Caden Stearns, number one, B.J. Foster, number two, Jalen Green, number four, DeMarvion Overshone, number five. That shows you how good this DB class mm-hmm. is, that those guys are yeah. in the top five. Brennan Eagles at six, Anthony Cook at seven, Josh Ramore at 10, Alvante Woodard at 11, Deshaun Jameson at 12, Keandre Coburn at 13, Keontae Ingram at 15. So uh, it, was a, it was a big year. I mean, it, and look, if you're an Aggie fan, I mean, we don't talk a lot about A&M on this podcast because it's a Texas podcast. But, yeah. man, if you're an Aggie fan, I don't know how you can be disappointed with the finish Jimbo Fisher had. They finished with a class that was ranked just outside the top 15. We had them at, I think, 16 right. or 17 in the country in a transition year where they kind of went all over the country. They went to the East Coast and went out to California, Florida. They went all over to, to get them some players. And, and I'm telling you, 2019, if you love following recruiting, 2019 is going to mm-hmm. be a fun year, man, because there are going to be a lot of vicious – Especially oh, yeah. when you so get it, Aggies in the low now ones we, and Lincoln Riley. Now we we talked about vicious. Comes out. We it talked is. about it's cutthroat, man. We talked about the early signing period, but the thing that's going to change with the 2019 cycle is recruits can now take official visits in the spring. Ooh. So 
you're gonna be you're gonna have recruiting in high gear in spring when these teams are going through spring ball. So you're gonna have Tom Herman and Jimbo Fisher going head to head for some of the top town in the state. Nice, man. It's already Relay happening. Weekends. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's Relay you know, well, weekends and be I mean, and this is uh, and I think that you know that is gonna help because remember in 2016, no college football program in the state of Texas finished the year in the AP top 25. First time in 50 years it ever happened. Right. The the the, the talent being. Um, siphoned from the state is hurting not only Big 12, but college football in the state of Texas, which is, that's jobs in Texas, man. That's an economy all of its own, yeah. the football realm. So I think it's great having Jimbo Fisher here. I think him and Tom Herman are going to be going at it. And one other thing, like, to consider, if you're, you know, talking about kind of the macro of this, um, you know, Tom Herman wants to run Houston. Like, that's, Brian Carrington is kind of his ace in Houston. Like, that's where he wants his foothold to be. He's yeah. one of the top seeds for producing NFL talent. A&M, before Mac Brown was known uh, for being, like, the, 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 the university of, like, the, the university of the Houston, like Houston people, like Houstonians. Right. They loved Aggies. There was an Aggie town more so than a Longhorn town. And I wonder now if they're going to start trying to battle for Houston. Because we talked about this yeah, Houston I mean, when Houston was becoming a, it was an SEC town. It was not a Big Twelve city. It was start because and, and U of H messed with that too because Tom Herman, you know, and LSU expanding their footprint. Yeah, you know, what I mean, like he broke. He didn't want it to be a Texas town or an Aggie town. He wanted it to be a Cougar town. Mm-hmm. So then they 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 came in the conversation. So that's a lot. You're right. There's a lot going on in Houston about who is going to run that state, that city. Excuse me. When it comes to recruiting. why does Cougar Town sound like a place that you would camp out for about a week, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I would love Cougar Town. Uh, there used to be a what was that? It was a, it's a bar, bar up north. north. No, yeah, you know, I'm talking about. <laughs> I think we called it Cougar Town. It had like blue or purple. Yes, pink it did. What was that what place? Was I that had place? To oh Damn man! It. Yes, uh, the Air Cranes band used to yeah. play there all the time. That, it was known as Cougar Town, yes, though. Right. It was it actually is, his nickname. There's a bar up in North yeah. Austin that yeah. is exactly that's been there as well. So we kind of hit all bases, and I want to finish with this, and this goes back to a conversation we had. After the championship game, when uh, again when you look at Alabama, oh, it was a down year for Alabama. They finished with the seventh seventh best class in the country. It's the worst they've had since two thousand seven. And I'm thinking, wow. well, where were they then in the thirties? No, they were seventh in the they country. Were seventh. <laughs> um, and you look at you look at what Georgia you look at what Georgia's doing. Yeah, and you look at what Ohio State does every year, mm-hmm. and that is the pattern for Texas to follow. And that to me, it's not that I'm not thrilled that Texas got this signing class because. Let's face it, as guys who have a podcast and I've got a site, when the product on the field is better, it's better for all of us because, let's face it, we're we're making more money. Yeah. I mean, people are more invested people in the program. People want to talk Texas football. Exactly. Yeah. More people want to listen, more people want to read, blah, blah, blah. Cool. It's better for everybody. But the only way that happens, and it's mm-hmm. again, it's not that I'm not excited about this group, but you know that, okay, you did it, Tom Herman. Awesome. Now go do it again. Yep. And again. And, and again, again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. You better watch out. Yeah. The 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 other part of that is if Texas is seven and six in two thousand eighteen, we're not sitting here a year from now talking about the number three class in the country, the best recruiting class, the most high, most highly ranked recruiting class Texas has had since two thousand twelve. Back towards the end when Mac still technically had it quote unquote rolling and it was still yeah. Texas still on nationally meant something. Texas is seven and six, we're not talking about that next year. Now the challenge is Go win eight or nine games and go beat A and M for some head to head battles and let's start seeing an upward trajectory on the field so that way you can keep stacking 
talented classes on top of talented classes on top of talented classes. Yeah. That's how you win championships. I'm not actually worried about them winning more games next year. I'm actually confident they'll win more games next year. I mean, they, they were close yeah. to winning eight or nine games this year. They just... If you, know, you just take the step of the beating, game, beating the teams you're game. supposed to beat, yeah. mm-hmm. then you probably do go so, eight and four in the I think they'll season. win more games, so I think he'll keep you know progressing. I think the big issue is um, you know how long before he's competing for the Big 12 championship. That's the first big step. And honestly, next year you should be at least be in the discussion for what it sounds like it's uh, the SEC or anything. Because I don't know, man. The top of the conference, I mean – Oklahoma thinks it's just going to keep on rolling with Kyler Murray at quarterback. Yeah. I don't know that it will exactly. or not. I'm with you. You know, TCU's having to reload offensively. Yeah. Um, you know, West Virginia brings back brings back Will Greer, but we know they're always just kind of weird. Yeah, they'll lose a game, a yeah. game or two. They have no business losing. Oklahoma State's got to reload in terms of personnel. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's there for Texas to go win them that eight should, or nine games next year. That should be year. the goal. The goal should be next year to win the Big 12. And then after you win the conference, then you're in a national championship discussion. I mean, literally, that is it, like in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So for Tom Herman next year, I agree. I, I'm not saying he's got to win the Big 12, but he should at least be in the discussion for, you know, it, it, who's going to win the Big 12 or at least coming down to the wire who's competing for the Big 12 championship. I do, I do love the fact, though, and I'll close with this about this class, that A&M is dealing with it now, and you're going to see you've seen all them already in the class of 2019 have some nice momentum. Tom Herman maximized the newness factor that yeah, Texas yeah. had. Yeah, yeah. Much more so than Charlie Strong. And yes, Charlie got Malik and Holton Hill, and they got some talented guys in that first recruiting class that was ranked 10 in the country. But Tom Herman got every high school football recruits in the state of Texas excited about Texas again. Yeah. That's big. Yeah, Throughout the whole cycle, and they maximized the cycle. I just use that word maximized. They maximized every minute of this recruiting cycle. And again, when you look at this list of 27 signees, that's how it pays off, and that's how you get your program better. And if you can do it again, that's how you start contending for championships. He again. said in 2017 he was focusing on 2018. Now give him credit for that because everybody was disappointed about that class, speaking of the Aggies and the first salvage class for a coach. Longhorn fans, like, quickly they forget about yeah. the Longhorns last year. What was it, 27th ranked class in the country, lowest in the modern recruiting cycle? Yeah. But I digress. My, my point being, you know, for for Tom Herman, he seems to be one of those guys that's very calculated, and he seems to – he has a plan. Like, for, there's never – I don't think he's ever, like, taken off guard, like, oh, I didn't have a plan for that. He's got a plan. He had a plan with this recruiting cycle, too. He goes back to 2017 saying that. So I, I trust him about yeah. that kind of stuff and those kind of decisions. And you brought up the point that you can now have official visits in the spring. That's amazing for Game Austin. Changing. It's huge. You have South by Southwest and Texas Relays. The weather. That's the best beautiful. weekends yeah. in the entire city. So, yeah, that's only going to help. That's right, man. Great. Official visits on Relays weekend. I didn't even think about oh, that. Man. Yeah, that was the first thing. I said Relays, and then I was like Ooh, South by. And South by for three, three weeks. They don't I get to come for ACL. Either. It's during in season. That's oh. huge. Well, the, the game is afoot, and we'll see how Texas handles it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Blitz. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Oh, you're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge as always. For Matt, for Rod, for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at 104.9 The Horn, hornfm.com, the Horn app, AM 1260. Everybody at the Austin Radio Network, our wonderful partners where you can get Rod B each and every week on the Rodcast from 1 to 3. And this plug. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.